Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. We are 40-year Wall Street analysts who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with a handful of ideas here on the show each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, we have three somewhat okay ideas uh, for you this week. Um, they are, uh, well, I won't say them right now. We'll keep it a secret. But before we get to that, some important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional analysts and portfolio managers during the week. We do a lot of careful research, talk to CEOs, do forecasting. We've been careful to do absolutely none of that here in the show. And finally, um, we do not have your best interests in mind. In fact, our attorneys have advised us to warn you that we have only our own greedy interests in mind. And then second, finally, uh, I've had too many bullet points there, Mo. So um, see all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took at www.thevalueguys.com. Okay, this is an exciting week. Uh, Mo and I are in the bunker. We've spent Almost no time preparing this week. I'll prepare. I'll just speak for myself. But um, Mo's done a little more than I have, and I think he's got some um, interesting thoughts about Wall Street news. I'm not sure though, but we'll see. Yeah, just as a, another another point to point out, we're social distancing. How many miles apart are we? Do you think? Uh, eight hundred, roughly. Um, my pigeon is not back yet, so I'll know more certainly in a little while. But and uh, we are wearing masks. I am so. It's an abundance of caution. I know that it, that, that it, it, they haven't proven that this can travel over the internet. My but avatar can't go over the internet. I think my avatar feels at risk, so yeah, we're keeping the so mask on. We all being, we're all being careful. Hey, uh, COVID, COVID update. Yeah. You know, I'm in a, I'm in one of the worst states in the country. And I got to tell you something, uh, the 4th of July here was empty. Now they closed the beaches in Florida. Yeah. But the restaurants that were still open, outdoor dining places that were still open, empty, empty, empty. Huh. And I have this bad feeling that we're going to start seeing a reversal of what we've seen as a little bit of green shoots on the, on the economic side. So there is a very cool graph today on CNBC. It's a company I, I, I've never seen them before. They're called Shopper Track. They, they, Shopper they, Track, yeah. You know them? I've heard of them. I mean, don't they capture stuff from the supermarket and then uh, stalk you? Well, sort of, yeah. They, they, they did national retail foot traffic. And they've been tracking this for a while. On April 18th, when this when this virus hit full force, foot traffic in, in all retail foot traffic, malls, regular stores, bottomed out on April 18th at down 83% year over year. Yeah, every I saw week, some of that. Every week since then, it's been edging up until two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, retail traffic was down 34% year over year last week down 39 percent 
this week continuing to head down again. Yeah. So, you know, if you go back to uh, Open Table, the reservation company, uh, you could see that weeks and weeks before New York City was shut down, weeks before reservations at, at restaurants were drying up. So you can tell people the world is open or you can tell people the world is closing and it's noise on the sideline. They're, they're going to do what their gut instincts tell them that's right to do. And I have this feeling that we've got 40, 40 of the 50 states in the United States right now are showing an increase in viral infections. And yeah. what, you can argue what the, what the mortality rate is. You can argue whether they're 99% uh, you know, harmless. The fact is people are starting to hunker down again. Yeah. And so having said that, I continue to look for ideas that are either going to play out positively because of the virus or paradigm changes that are going to take effect. That's all you can do. I mean, you know, when you get into these environments and we've been doing this a long time, um, the thing to remember is you really aren't going to always find the answers in the financial statements or talking to other people because nobody's been in the future and the financial statements have not been in the future. So we've been seeing some uh, trends, many of which have just accelerated recent trends. But I think part of our job as analysts is not just to analyze the past, which we're all good at and we take tests about and all that, but the part about predicting the future, that's the art, Mo, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you, and so you look at paradigm trends. So I did a little, I, this is very unscientific. You can do this, listeners. You can do this at home. <laughs> you can do it at home, yes. If, if you can make if, a meal, you could probably do analysis. That's true. If, if you are an Amazon shopper, if you buy stuff from Amazon, go into your account and look at how many items, look at how many discrete purchases you made in the last, and it'll tell you the last six months, the last year, the last two months. And that's not individual items. That's, so if you buy like, you know, five bananas from from whole foods that's one that's one order and if you buy a whole shopping cart full of groceries that's one order and i think i'm pretty typical because i did talk to a couple of buddies of mine today and ask them this question i i, I bought 149 i've had 149 discrete purchases from amazon in the last six months that's that's almost one a day yeah, but in your case, that's probably vitamins, right? You're well, no, 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 no. So no. took the analysis another level, and I looked and I said, all right, well, here's just some representative stuff that I bought in the last six months, and these are the stores that I would have gone to to purchase those items. I bought yeah. mother's, mother's car wax. I didn't go to AutoZone. I bought Turkish bath towels for our sauna. That would have been a Bed Bath & Beyond or a Macy's or a Bloomingdale's shopping run. Uh, my wife bought a Babolay tennis backpack. That was, would have gone to the tennis store for that. Light bulbs for picture lights. I would have gone to the lighting mm -hmm. store. This seems like a quite a normal, ordinary shopping list, Mo. Yeah, I mean, Apple iPhone cases, you didn't go to the Apple store. USB cables didn't go to Best Buy. Frisker's grass shears didn't go to Home Depot. Birthday card didn't go to the mall. You go through that and you realize that all of those items 
I felt when I looked at them were the same price as if I had gone to the mall, gone to the retail store. I got them shipped for free. They were here the next day. I had free returns. They're making it easier and easier and easier. And when I talk to people about this paradigm shift, there's a lot of people who are saying that once the, the, the virus is, is eradicated, or we, have a, we have a vaccine, they're not going back to the stores. Well, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people won't be going back. And if that's the case, who, who benefits from that? And I know this is one of the things we did talk about earlier on the show is that although we don't really talk to, among ourselves before the show on names that we're going we're gonna to have on the show, there's been some front running on, on some of these names. Because well, I don't know how this is getting out. You know, I have uh, interrogated the cleaning lady. Um, I've talked to the neighbors, you know. Uh, what's going on on your end, Mo? Because I, I don't know either, but, you know, we, we, I mentioned a while ago that we were going to do Amazon on the show. Well, and, and who would, that's so obscure. How would someone even think of that? I mean, I who's know, even looking at a stock like that? Broke, it broke its all-time high. It's at $3,000 today. And, um, I, you know, obviously people are listening. They know we're going to talk it up. The volume is... is but how is, do they know? How? How? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. know. But so we're, we're going to chase down some of those leaks because we want to continue having the show. But if we're going to have people that front run the names that we're interested in, I mean, you, you know, know I think I I think I might have an idea. You know, um, we did do a little pre-show check-in over Zoom. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, the you Chinese market was up a lot too, and I know we had a very positive view of the Chinese equity markets as well. Yeah. Uh, so it it can't be a coincidence, Mo. No, it's not a coincidence, and I know it's a little. It's a little, it's an obvious name. <laughs> when we started in the business, <clears throat> I don't think there were 46 analysts on Wall Street. <laughs> there are 46 analysts that followed this company. Well, a little history. I think, you know, you mentioned you were going to pick this up. Um, back in my uh, street days, I, one of the industries I covered was catalogs. We used to call it catalogs. And then uh, this thing called the internet came along and all of a sudden, a bunch of technology guys were covering Amazon. And I just said to my boss, I said, why are you having technology guys cover Amazon? He's like, well, it's a new technology. It's the internet. I said, oh, well, why don't you have the telecom guy cover Macy's? He's like, why would we do that? I said, well, they have telephones. They use telephones just the way Amazon uses technology. Amazon's a retailer. They're going for low-cost distribution. They're going for um, low-cost marketing, direct marketing. Amazon, 20 years ago, it was evident to people covering the industry that they were building an engine to have maximum economies of scale, both in the distribution of goods, but also in the finding of customers through the direct marketing and the benefits of what catalogers had been doing for years. Frequency, uh, what, what's the, it's, there's three things you look for in, a, in, in the most likely customer. It's uh, recency, how recently did they buy something? Frequency, how frequently do they buy something? And then, not surprisingly, of the amount they spend. And you start applying that over 
in effect Amazon over millions of people, millions of searches, and they have truly built something amazing. And this trend has been going on for a bit. Um, I'm sure, you know, I've been an Amazon shopper literally since the day they opened. Um, and the way we knew they weren't going to just be a book company, Mo, and I was covering the stock back in 1998, was my contact that built the distribution centers for Land's End. I called down there. I'm like, what the hell is this company doing? They're going to they're going to own the entire book, you know, category with with this footprint they're building and he said, "Oh, well, they're they're going to have some pretty large books then because they're building a facility that has trays uh and conveyance equipment to carry sorts of things that William Sonoma's carrying. And this was a company that knew about William Sonoma. And they said, and they've got 14 of these things on the books. And I'm like, holy shit. The next day, Amazon had a big convention. There was speculation they were going to announce that they were doing more than books. They did not announce it. But I knew they were doing more than books because of my guy. And I felt like, and that's research. That's, again, you're not crossing a line when you do research and find things out. There were 100 people covering Amazon. But uh, they've been working on this a long time, Mo. And the fact that the COVID has now brought a whole new generation of people, I think there's no stopping them. They end up becoming, in effect, a low-cost producer. And that's going to work for a long time. Well, you know, you, you brought up something that, that I wrote down, wrote it down in the margins of the spreadsheet you sent me, and that was who follows this stock, and meaning what kind of an analyst follows this stock? Because when we look at these consolidated numbers, and you know, people that aren't analysts need to remember something, consolidated numbers are made up of many different segments that a company owns, many different segments that a company competes in, and so Amazon... 11% of their revenues comes from something called Amazon Web Services. Yeah, that's right. 67% of their operating income. So if you're an analyst, are you a retail analyst? And if you are, listen, they, they compete against Azure. They compete against Google Cloud. They compete against right. IBM in this That's space. been their secret hidden business behind the scenes that's come to the forefront now. So does a retail analyst have enough, you know, enough technology background to be able to assess that segment properly? Or are people joint covering this? If you're a media guy, you're going to look at what their advertising revenues could be in five years. If you're a technology guy, you're going to look at their cloud computing capability. And if you're a retail guy, you're looking at what percentage of the retail market they've still got to capture by going online. How does one guy cover all three of those spaces, which are all, which are all in and of themselves very, very complicated spaces. Absolutely the right question. And that was the question that I put to my boss so many years ago. But in some regard, this is just history repeating because can you imagine if you were the Sears analyst in 1950 going, hey, I don't know who should cover this. You know, they sell houses, they do mortgages, they do property, they have a dental office. So these giant companies, it almost suggests that at the point that you can buy everything in your life from Amazon, um, 
it just suggests they're vulnerable in some way because there's so many targets that they now represent in different niches that they've captured big shares of grocery. I mean, certainly books, obviously, and music, grocery, movies. I mean, they're just a big target. And yeah. uh, it's interesting who's going to slay Amazon. You know, one of the things I thought was a line in the sand was a, a couple of years ago, they said they were going to go after the medical distribution business. Well, there's some giant companies in that business that sell things that are precise industrial equipment. I mean, Amazon largely sells things that you can teach yourself you need, like, oh, look at these headphones, four star. But right. when you start getting into stuff like Granger that's designed into sophisticated, complicated equipment, I don't think the help desk at Amazon can help you invent your new thing. So at some point, I'm thinking, we'll see. You know, they said they were going to get into medical distribution. That's complicated. You might be able to sell gloves, but can you sell lasers that fix teeth it's a different yeah. question yeah so so in the course of, of 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 trying to figure out what kind of analyst would follow this company i came across a cool website it's called tipranks.com t-i-p-r-a-n-k-s.com and you can punch in a stock and you can see the analysts that follow it you they they'll, they'll show you a handful of analysts that follow the stock and uh, for premium, you could get all of the analysts that follow the stock and what the rating is. But here's something that's kind of scary. When, when I was an analyst, no one really tracked your performance. And uh, tip ranks, like here, I'll give you an example. Brian Fitzgerald, he's a Wells Fargo analyst. He follows, he follows Amazon. Um, he has had successful ratings on 320 out of 418 recommendations. So it's 77% and they track his average return on his recommendation is 31%. Wow. Now on the flip Pretty side, is Ella G and she's at China Renaissance Securities and she's had 31 of her 93 recommendations work out and her average return is minus 6%. So they, they they didn't they didn't rank me. I mean nobody ranked me. You know the you institutions voted for whether they liked your. They report. voted, but it was always a montage uh, uh, behind the reasons. It wasn't uh, published uh, yeah. for everyone. Boy, that's, Even that's, in II, they were always a little bit. There were categories that were vagueish. Industry you know, knowledge, industry trade secrets. So, who's the lady there? I feel bad for her. That's horrible. It's not like no one's going to know that. Yeah, I mean, but it's a, but it's interesting. They didn't have that obviously when we were when we were doing our thing. But so the question is now: you just go to the specifics of the stock. Look, it's three thousand dollars. It's pretty much at everybody's. Now, are we? So, are you actually? Are you recommending Amazon to our listeners? Wow. I am saying that if we see any kind of a pullback, if you're a long-term investor, that it makes sense to stick your nose into this and take a look at it. Um, the, 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 the revenues on this consolidated sheet that, that we both work off of when we're talking about companies are meaningless because they're in so many different subsectors. The one concern I have is that the stock's got, you know, a trailing 12 months, it's 138 PE ratio. And I mean, this, the, the growth has been fabulous, but if you see some PE contraction, I mean, if this, if the PE on a forward basis, which is uh, 90, if it goes to a 
slightly less outrageous 50. I mean, you could, you could basically have the stock price. So it's a pretty high uh, PE ratio and there's no dividend. And so you don't have that as a, a safety net. But it is a, it's, it's just a name that just keeps coming up as a, as a play for this paradigm shift. And if we had more than 10 minutes to do our analysis, I'd, I'd probably do some work on this stock. How much, what percentage do they have of the retail market? How much more can they, can they squeeze out of that? What about, what about advertising? And what about, the, uh, what about the cloud computing service? But nonetheless, there are a couple of guys out there that have still got a $3,400 target price on the stock. It's expensive, but I like the story. And I think it's something that if I had more time, I'd do a little more work on. Not, not a slam dunk like Callaway last week um, or like our, our little dog food company the week before that, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a cool, it's a cool story in this environment. Well, I like it, Mo. Here's another one like last week um, where, like Callaway, where it's a Mo stock. Like this stock is up, Amazon is up 6% today. Mo, well, so we know we know, you know again it's, people people it's, it's uh it's leaking that. out we're gonna have to tighten up our security but in any case this is one that a value guy can get his arms around as well um you just pointed out an extremely high pe which is a good reason not to look at pe you know the history of this company was um earning zero putting all the expense money possible and cash into CapEx expenses to grow and gain market share and build critical mass, build it fast and get to where mass attracts mass and you're a low cost producer. And they paved the way for that, but then it's hard for a number two. You know, eBay did the same thing over in their world, Google. These are companies now that are carving out space that's apt to be here for a hundred years. And just like Sears and IBM, GM before them. Um, but the reason I can even like this as, a, as an earnings guy is that I look at the enterprise value to EBITDA. Now that's 38, which is pretty high. I don't like to pay that. And as I mentioned earlier, I did recommend this stock in 1998 on the street. And that was a much better entry point. The stock was eight. Let me just tell you. Everybody, well, everyone thought it was going out of business and they were all tech people that didn't understand the economies of scale. So I just was there watching it. So it's hard to pay 3000 when you've paid eight. But the prediction back then was that they would get, that direct marketing would get to maybe 20% market share of all retail. In, ca in clothing, which was an easy thing for catalogs, they got to about 15, 20% of retail. So the thought was everything could go there if it's convenient and easy to do. And we're approaching those kind of numbers. Um, and Amazon has roughly half of that. So they have an enormous amount of all retail sales. The question is, how much more can direct get? I guess, given that everyone's learned they can be at home, uh, I think direct could get to half. Why not? Do you want to go back downtown? Do people want to drive around? You, you might want to get a delivery in your car as it's driving you on vacation, but you don't want to spend time in a supermarket, I don't think, and, uh, or a retail store. And, you know, all of a sudden, all the different brands of clothing sort of feel like they're on one side and then Amazon's on the other and they're all available, many through Amazon. So I'm looking at an enterprise value to EBITDA of 38. That's high, but it's roughly, you know, two and a half, three percent 
cash on cash, EBITDA over enterprise values, my yield, it's very low, but you know, the long-term treasury is at 1% or less. It, part of it represents security and safety and certainty. So it's not always overvalued if it's de-risked. And what I will say about Amazon is risk-adjusted. There's absolutely no chance these guys are going to lose to somebody else. Their closest competition in just economies of scale is Walmart. And, and, and Amazon is a, a much better expert at direct marketing than Walmart, although they're going to catch up. So I, I simply think the total return, two and a half, three percent plus growth, which GDP plus share gains could be four or five percent. Um, I think you're looking at a, you know, eight, nine percent total return. It's not a 50 percent, but in lieu of treasury bonds or other low yielding instruments that have low risk, I think the risk adjusted return on Amazon is very high and I can uh, join you in, in recommending it, Mo. So uh, if the stock went from eight to 3,000, do you know what percentage increase that is? Well, it's been 30 years. So here I have, it's not as much as you'd think, honestly. It's 37,000 uh, percent. <laughs> Well, but compounded, okay. So 3,000 divided by eight, wait a minute, 3,000 divided, I'm using my HP 12, which is still actually functional. The battery still works. And then 98, let's see, 08, 18, 23 years, right? So that is uh, a 29% compound return, pretty good. The better, problem, than Bernie, better than Bernie Madoff. Well, better than that. I mean, the problem with our industry sometimes, I think it's funny, you know, we all work so hard at doing this. And then if some guy bought that one stock, he's beating everybody. Or if he just, so we've been working hard, we're getting these good returns. And you got a guy who, you know, spends eight basis points on the Vanguard S&P fund. And, you know, oh, what'd you get? Oh, 28%. Oh, well. Which, you know, it's just, you can't do that in heart surgery. You know, there's not a discount approach to having great surgery the way there is in our industry. You could just have bought the S&P or Amazon and you'd be well ahead. So, but that's a good one, Mo. I like it. So what have you got on your end? Uh, well, um, unlike you, Mo, I have a day job. So um, I've been extremely busy doing a lot of careful analysis all day long. And then it was time for the show. So I, I did a shot real quick just to prepare. And then uh, I did a very typical screen. Um, and this is an actual screen that I do in the shop. And I call it my um, good companies at good prices screen. Um, pretty sophisticated. So I don't want to give away all the secrets. But let very, me just. Very creative title too. Yeah, I mean, it's good it's, companies at good prices. I like that. It's trying to be descriptive, a little home cooking type of thing. Yeah. Um, so, what are my variables here? And you can do this at home. This is the beauty of this. I recommend everybody go get a Schwab account. It's free. Do your homework. That's free, and you can do this at home. Uh, I like first U.S. equities, safe country, pretty safe. Then debt to capital, under 30%. I just don't want to take the risk. During this uncertain time, we need strong balance sheets. Then I have an interesting uh, screen, which I just say, in the last 
this part is, I think, kind of screens out a lot of guys. Over the last seven years, I need your return on assets to average 5%, which shouldn't be a big hurdle. Okay, I need that. Then I need your enterprise value to revenue to be below six, <clears throat> not a big hurdle to that. Um, I need your operating margin for the last seven years to always be positive. I don't like money losers. And I, this year you can lose money, but I need your average to be positive for seven years. Um, and that's not a big hurdle. Actually, I'm saying it's gotta be over 2% average. And then I really crunched down on the uh, ROA. That's a pretty high hurdle actually for a seven year average. And, uh, and then the debt to cap. That gets me 45 companies, Mo, many of whom you wouldn't want to give to your enemy, you know. But how here's what they are. With, how many did you start with? 45 out of how many? Okay, well, the big top end is always U.S. equities. And um, that starts with, uh, let's see, headquarters in the U.S. That's what I did. 10,000 uh, companies. Okay. And then market cap above 5 billion, which by the way, completely eliminates any issues I have with my compliance department since I'm a small cap guy, right? Boom. Yep. Okay. Then uh, from there, you know, we really crunched down that ROA, that ROA is a big element to this. And the reason is you have a seven year average like that. We've had this bad period. Um, you know, it just says you're making something people probably need, you know. Um, and then I don't want it to be expensive, but the real cruncher is the debt, debt to capital of 30 and the uh, seven year profitable on ROA. Um, a bunch of names came through here. I don't want to take people's time, but a lot of it is just typical stuff. There's some aerospace. Of course, people may never take planes. Um, there's some insurance guys and stuff, but rates are so low. I don't know how they make money on their, you know, uh, capital. Um, there's some housing related, which intrigues me. <clears throat> um, just for some of the reasons, what's coming out of COVID? What are, what are some of the changes? And so I think that um, housing, Electronic arts is in here. There's a few, but the two, the two I chose, if I really had to, you know, come down to just a couple, would be um, NVR, which is a housing company, and Watsco, which is a distributor of HVAC products. Again, needs not wants. Um, let me start with NVR. This is a this is a housing company. Uh, it's one of the largest home builders in the United States. And it's, it's, it's operating all over the place. It's 12 billion in market cap. And the reason I like this as a theme is simply that um, much like my record collection, office buildings are now only largely art. And we're all gonna sort of do more in our homes, live more in our homes. Our homes are gonna be asked to do more. They're gonna have to change. And the people that change homes isn't gonna be the, the dads, you know, it's gonna be companies. And NVR, again, I don't know, um, 
what their special edge is, but they're in a lot of locations. And I just think urban environments are going to be shifting toward lower cost places. There's a lot of income taxes, state taxes, property taxes rising with a lot of budgetary problems. And I think people are going to be moving into lower cost, lower tax places. And the home builders are going to know where to put these homes that will attract people and that have all these nice elements. It's hard to do it with existing homes. And so I like that as a theme. Um, the reason I focus in on this one is just that it's, um, it's, it's one of the largest, so they have economies of scale. Um, and it's got some very nice uh, valuation characteristics to it um, that I just happen to like. First, return on capital, it's 30%. The low, you know, it does get down into the single digits, but it doesn't lose money. At the peak in, in you know, again, 10 years ago, it was in the 50% number. So now it's just around 30. Um, even five years ago, it was 15, 20. You know, it's going to be a good returner. The revenue, 7 billion, that's going to get to some economies of scale. Return on assets, 23%. Who earns that much? Nobody. I like that a lot. Um, asset utilization, how many times do they turn their assets in revenue? Two times. That's a lot for a company that has so many moving parts. Um, their debt to EBITDA is 0.6. I mean, even your own household isn't that good. So um, that's amazing for any company. And for a home builder, it's, it's really uh, pretty good. Now, their debt to capital is 20%, but with low interest rates, it, it really um, isn't going to be a big deal. Their profit margin's 11, their operating margin 13. All these metrics are fabulous, Mo. So uh, interest covered 43 times. And so um, it's just got all these wonderful metrics. And then enterprise value to EBITDA, it's been very stable historically. It got to some highs back in 2013, got into the 16 range. Right now it's 11. So again, I flip that over, one over 11, 9% cash on cash. And then I think you have a little bit of GDP growth here, which gets you into the low teens and, uh, there you have it, NVR, quick and dirty, but it looks like something people should spend a little time on, Mo. And what's their ticker symbol? NVR. And what's the price? The price, uh, well, this is where it gets tough for some people. It's $3,292.46. They're a little negative on the split, the, the split idea hasn't really. We both picked $3,000 stocks without Without even well, let's about not it. tell uh, our wives yeah, about yeah, yeah. that. Um, but by the way, I did notice on Schwab recently, and this might help some of our listeners, they're doing fractional shares. So I recommended Schwab earlier. I'm, they're not paying me. It's just a wonderful platform for the do-at-home, you know, do-it-from-home guy. No fees, no custody fees. And now if you want to buy NVR and you don't have $3,000, you can, you can buy $5 worth. It's like when you used to go to the gas station. How much do you want to fill it up? Uh, hey, five bucks worth, you know, and now you can do this with NVR. There you go. So can you do that, can you do that with any stock with them? You know, um, that's a very good question. And um, it's possible that what I just said isn't true because they just have a short list of names. But this is, I believe, in the Fortune 1000. It should be so. But go check it out. You know, it's possible. And if you can't, 
you know, call somebody and get them to get you the money so that you can buy NVR. It's not how, it's not how you got the money. It's how you spend it that matters sometimes, Mo. And with this one, I think that's possibly true. Well, you know, if you, if you can buy fractional shares of, of Amazon, you get some bragging rights. So you buy a one one hundredth of a share and you go tell your buddies, yeah, I'm loading up on Amazon. You just don't tell them that you're not buying. Yeah, I just bought shares. a thousand shares, but I got yeah. the 10 cent ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I just again, we're taking I'm taking so much time from everybody, um, but I have uh, one more. I was torn, Mo, actually, uh, between electronic arts which is just like the Amazon story, people more at home, you're not, you, you can play with your friends on your headset, in your, you know, in your, fan, in your, uh, you know, your AVI world or whatever out there. And so, um, I, but everyone knows that, no one needs me to tell them about electronic arts, just go check it out, EA, it's not terrible. Um, but what I'm gonna talk a little bit more about um, is something I know almost nothing about as well, which is called Watsco, ticker WSO. I'm just going to say this is the blue plate special. You're going to a party. If you want a stock no one's ever heard of and nobody cares about, like Mo gave you one that's topical. You can be cool. You've heard of, of it and you know about it. Here's one you've never heard of. No one knows about. This could also be cool in its own way. Um, what do they do? Watsco is a distributor of heating, ventilation, and air conditioning units. They have 400 locations in 38 states. I'm gonna guess it's mainly the states that need heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So they might not be in the, in, in the South, because heating, you know, you need that. Or, or, or they just may not be in Texas. They may not just do air conditioning, I don't know, but that'd be to check out. But they do, they're seven billion in market cap, um, they do uh, five billion in sales. The theme on something like this, Mo, and this has been a long time theme for me, is just needs, not wants. If the world completely goes to hell, um, you're gonna want your home heated, and you may even give up cooling, but you're gonna need heat, and you're gonna call someone, and you're gonna need them to come out. And so um, I think it's a very stable, business, again, de-risking your portfolio, I think is um, a, a sensible thing. When you have uncertainty, you don't know how things might grow, you don't know what revenue might turn out to be. Well, you just turn your attention to reducing risk. And in some ways, uh, particularly in the present value formulas, for those of you that pay attention to this, you know, D over K minus G, um, a percent, whether it's coming off a of growth or coming off of uh, your return, risk-adjusted return, almost doesn't matter. It just makes things valuable. And so I think this is a little bit of de-risk uh, just from the point of view of needs, not wants. Return on assets, 9%. I like that a lot. Um, again, it tells you that they're doing something good. Return on capital, 12% for a distributor to get 12%. I mean, they're just selling something they don't even make. So what are they doing right? Well, I don't know for sure, but they might have some exclusives on some really good brands and some really good territories. That type of thing for a distributor is always really valuable. So whatever the best brand of heaters is, they're probably the only ones that could sell it in some really cold places and so they get paid for that. Um, they've got a very nice balance sheet. Again, um, debt to uh, 
EBITDA is very similar to what I was saying earlier um, for uh, NVR. This is also 0.5, really nice. Debt to capital even lower, 10%. Operating margin, 7%. That's to bring heaters in one end and move them out the other end. You're getting 7%. It's almost like a real estate commission on something like that. And so um, EBIT to interest, 90 times covered. I mean, cash on the balance sheet. Now the only, you know, the, the valuation again, 19 times EBITDA for a value guy, that's not always great. But I'm, again, I'm flipping it around. One over 20, that's 5% cash on cash. I'm gonna get GDP growth here, probably a little less than GDP on something like this because it's a commodity. Um, who knows, but I'm all of a sudden looking at something in the seven, eight, nine, 10% range and in an uncertain world where, you know, zero risk bonds are 1%, um, would you rather have your money in a bank earning 0.5 or in a heater distributor that earns eight or nine? And all you got to get comfortable with is the money is one removed, but you certainly own it. And, um, and for that reason, I like, uh, I like this one a lot. Watsco. There you go, Mo. Excellent. Three good ideas. And, uh, we're going to work on this front running. It's got to stop or, we're, or the show's going to get in trouble. So next yeah, week, well, we I don't think, I don't think we do the pre show zoom because clearly somehow or another that information is getting out and uh, just, you know, we, we, we might have, have to just go it. old school on the telephone or something and bypass, um, you know, some of these hackers. Or we the, need to have the highest levels of integrity or the mail. Maybe we could just exchange some mail. There, there you show. go. Really, <laughs> because we can't take this anymore, that's for sure. So, all right, well, Mo, let me ask you, do you want to do uh, walking through national economic trends? I think we, I don't, we used, the show's getting very long now again. You no, know, I think we, I think we can, uh, I think we can skip that because we probably overloaded people with too much information and let's leave it at that. Okay. Um, that sounds fine. I will come back next week. Here's what I was going to talk about for that, which was just why are stocks so expensive? I alluded that a little bit in our valuation, but um, interest rates are low. Earnings yields are low. That means PEs are high. We're going to get back to a little more of that next week. So thanks for listening in, everybody. You've listened to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or a search engine near you. And uh, that's all we have from Wall Street. We'll see you next week. 